Let's open with a word of prayer. Once Don sits down. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for bringing us into your house to be served by you in the word. And we saw the sacrament being administered this morning to little Maddox. And Lord, thank you for your faithfulness in all things, the big things as well as the small things. Lord, we look forward to uh, spending a few more minutes this morning thinking about the, the words, uh, the prophecies concerning your son Jesus Christ and how those were put together in that uh, great work of music and the Messiah. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to hear words from Scripture and to hear the, the talents that you have given people to compose music and to sing music. Lord, we thank you for all these wonderful gifts that you have showered upon us. And it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Well, as I just briefly mentioned in the prayer, I'm going to speak just probably my last Sunday on the words of the Messiah, that great work of music by George Frederick Handel. We, we never finished at least the first part. The first part that goes through the prophecies concerning Christ and uh, his birth is, is foretold and also is revealed in the New Testament. And I just can't end in the middle without actually having some sort of conclusion. We're not going to be able to get through all the rest of the other two parts of the Messiah, most likely. Uh, but I at least wanted to finish up um, that first part concerning Christ's birth. And hopefully if we have time, I'm going to spend the last about ten minutes actually listening to some of the pieces um, that you probably have heard, but maybe will take on a little bit more meaning as we have thought a little bit more about the words that are being sung. But a couple weeks ago, right before my, my wife and I left for Chicago, I was driving in the car and had on NPR. And they actually were going to play the San Diego Symphonies doing the Messiah. And I was well, great, look at this. We're talking about it and I'm going to listen to it. But the, the announcer said that this was kind of a, a random collection of scripture verses put together. And that caught me on how naive of a statement that was. These aren't just a random collection of scripture passages put together in song. They're telling us about the great drama of redemption. It's a story of the Bible, and that's exactly what when Charles Jennings put these lyrics together for Handel to write the music to. He had a purpose. And I'm going to quickly go over the first part just to show the thread of how all these verses work together. We kind of, uh, the last couple of weeks when I was doing this, more digging into the scripture passages themselves and just unpacking them and just showing us the beauty of, of Christ's birth as it was foretold in the, in the prophets. But just let's just go through this story again. And if you have your, your lyrics in front of you, you can follow along. I don't have any more copies. Um, sorry. But hopefully some of these will be, um, you'll be uh, familiar to. So in the beginning we have Isaiah 40, where God speaks of this comfort that is going to come to his people. Uh, the people... Their warfare is going to be ended. Their iniquity is going to be pardoned. And the people were in exile this time. This is great news for God's people. That something is going to come. And that's the better news that comes. The Lord is coming. And the Lord himself is going to prepare the way. Those mountains are going to be made low. The valleys are going to be raised up. The Messiah is going to reveal the glory of the Lord. Then we go to Haggai 2, 6-7. That the nations are going to be shaken by the Lord. The Lord's going to shake everything up. He's going to, to come and shake the nations. Then Malachi 3, the Lord of hosts will come to his temple. But this is scary news. As we heard this morning from the sermon, who can stand in the presence of the Lord? And when Malachi, they're asking that question, who can stand in his presence? Because he's like a refiner's fire. And the Lord, as, as we, we read here, shall suddenly come to his temple 
the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. But who may abide? Who may stand at the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. Very similar to what we heard this morning. Good news, the Lord is coming. Wait a second, the Lord is coming. He's going to reveal his glory. Who can stand before such an awesome and holy God? And Malachi goes on to say, Well, he is going to purify the sons of Levi, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So the Lord is going to have that, that guilt offering that's going to come to him. There's going to be an appeasement of turning away of God's wrath. And that's part of the good news that is coming. So that's, those are the first few pieces of the Messiah. And the promises of the Lord have been given kind of in generalities. This is just kind of a broad statement of what the Messiah is going to come and do. But now the, the piece turns to more of the specifics, more telling us more about Christ, more about this Messiah. What is he going to do? Well, Isaiah 7.14, which he spent some time a few weeks ago looking at in detail. The coming of the Lord is going to be that Emmanuel, God with us. But he's going to be born in a very strange, a very miraculous way to a virgin. He's going to come to a virgin giving birth. That's how God was going to come into the world. Isaiah 40, verse 9, we turn to next. The voice declares to the nations, Behold your God. And what a, a fitting uh, tie-in to what we just heard about the virgin being born. Then we hear, This is your God. A baby who's going to be born in a manger to a peasant girl, but yet of the line of David. But behold your God. Then we turn to Isaiah 60. A light has come into the world. Not just for the Jews, the Gentiles as well are going to see the glory of the Lord. And then Isaiah 9, verse 2, which we didn't get to um, last time, so we haven't been able to dig into this, and if we have time, um, I'll do that. But the light comes into a dark world. The people are walking in the shadow of death, and this glory is going to come to them. But who is, who is this glory going to be shown? Uh, who's going to be revealed in? Again, a child. A baby. But he's going to have all the authority in the world. And he's given some amazing titles in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Wonderful. We're going to hear that part of the Messiah later. A wonderful prophecy about who this Messiah is. We even have some the Everlasting Father, Mighty God, tie into that this is no ordinary, ordinary child. He's given divine names, divine titles, equal with the Father, but yet also the Prince of Peace. So I hope you can see already how these, all these pieces, all these verses kind of tie together. There is this, this strand that goes through them. But now, we turn, now the Messiah turns to the birth of Christ. No longer just the prophecies, but the birth. And this, is, this transition is, is highlighted by the second symphony piece. If you remember probably about a month ago now, there are two symphonies throughout the, the Messiah where it's just the music playing. There's no singers, there's no um, soloist, no chorus. It's just a symphony, and that comes right before the announcement of the shepherds being in the field. So it's set apart, it's broken apart, prophecies and how the fulfillment. So Luke 2, verse 8 and 11, the shepherds were in the field keeping watch over their flocks, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. We've already heard about the glory of the Lord being proclaimed. 
the light's going to come, the glory of the Lord's going to be revealed. And who is it revealed to? Shepherds in a field. By an angel coming to them, proclaiming the good news of the Savior who was born in the city of David. And then in Luke 2, 13-14, joining that single angel was a host of angels singing and praising God. That's another um, part of the Messiah that we're going to listen to, is that wonderful chorus singing the praise to God. So we have the birth of Christ. Now interestingly, the, the whole lyrics turn back to prophecies. They go back to prophecies about what is Christ's work. What is he going to come on earth to do? Zechariah 9 Verses 9 through 10, well, there's, there's a cause for rejoicing. The King, the righteous Savior, has come to speak peace to all people. The glory of the Lord is coming, He's going to speak peace. Great rejoicing. Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, with Christ coming, the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap, and the dumb will sing. So there'll be great healing. All these physical infirmities are going to be taken away by Christ. And don't we see that throughout the, the New Testament? People come to Jesus, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to walk. Christ heals their infirmities, showing that he is God himself. It's interesting, when John the Baptist was in prison, he heard of you know, his, his cousin Jesus was doing all these works, and he, he asked, his disciples asked Jesus, are you the Savior, or are we to wait for somebody else? Well, how did Jesus respond? The deaf hear, the blind have their eyes open, the lame leap, quoting Isaiah 35. These are the works of the Messiah. Just open your eyes, God, Jesus tells John. This, this is what's happening. This is what was prophesied, and now this is coming fulfilled. I am the Savior. Then we turn to Isaiah 40, verse 11. We had mentioned last time that kind of skipped over Isaiah 40, but now we're coming back to Isaiah 40, 11. Christ will be a shepherd to his people, feeding his flock, gathering the lambs into his arms, leading those with young. A very pastoral, very loving picture of our Savior. And then the Messiah turns to a New Testament passage showing the fulfillment of Isaiah 40:11, Matthew 11:28-30. Come to Christ and he will give those who are burdened rest. Christ, he is meek. He is lowly. And in him we'll find rest for our souls. And the chorus speaks up, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So I hope that's the end of the first part. And I hope you can see that there is, there is a progression there, isn't there? This is a story being sung. Again, this was called an oratorio, which is like an opera without all the sets, without all the costume changes. But it is a story. And it's not just a random selection of scripture passages just kind of crammed in there because they sound good. But the, there's, a, there's a movement here showing about who Christ is, what he came on earth to do. And that's exactly where the Messiah leads in, in part two, speaking about Christ's redemption, about already being redeemed from our sins and what his sacrifice on the cross, and then the last piece is his glorious resurrection. So if you have you know, time over the next couple of weeks, just if you have those lyrics, just read the rest of the scripture passages. And again, they use a lot of Old Testament passages to speak about the work of Jesus Christ in a very beautiful way. If you don't have opportunity to listen to it, uh, try to find um, a recording of the Messiah. Go on YouTube and just listen to how he, he works with the text in a very beautiful way. So any questions on that, that broad scope of that first part of the Messiah, all these scripture passages that are weaved together? Any questions?
That makes some sense, I hope. Um, well, let's just go back and look a little bit more on um, some of these where we kind of left off, and then I have about five minutes, and we're going to start listening to some of these things. So previously, when I, when I was talking, we heard about the voice declaring to the cities of Judah, Behold your God, in Isaiah 49. But then he goes to Isaiah 60, 1 and 3. So I'm going to read Isaiah 60, 1 and 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness of peoples. The Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And Isaiah 60 comes at the end of a very long passage, a long section of the prophecies that God gave through Isaiah concerning their sin and what God is going to do about it. And just in the previous chapter, in chapter 59, the Lord laments that there was no one to intercede for his people. God himself was going to have to come down and do the work. And we hear that through other um, prophecies as well. The Lord looks down, who is going to save my people? Well, all the kings, they completely fell apart. They were unable to do what they were supposed to do. The prophets, they were speaking to the people, but they weren't listening. So the Lord finally says, I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to come down and do the work. And that's what brings to the, the opening chapter of verse 60, or verses of chapter 60. The glory of the Lord comes into a dark world. It is a very dark world. As we've heard beginning in, in Samuel already in the morning services. It was a dark time when Samuel came onto the scene. People were doing whatever they wanted, whatever was right in their own eyes. That continued throughout Israel's history. There was never really a glory time. Even in David and Solomon. People still sin. Even David himself you know, committed heinous atrocities. So the Lord looks in the dark world and he brings light. And that's exactly what Christ came to be, is that light. John 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. In John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, that beautiful prophecies about God coming, bringing light into a dark world, completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is that light. And continuing with that idea of seeing the glory of the Lord, we go to Isaiah 9, verse 2. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 9, verse 2. I'll read the first two verses of chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And this is what the Messiah sings. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Beautiful pictures of this glory of the Lord coming, light shining into the darkness. And in verse 2 of Isaiah 9, the deep darkness is the same word that the Hebrew, trans, the Hebrew has in Psalm 23, for shadow of the valley of the shadow of death. Deep, deep darkness. But that's the, the light that comes into the world. A light would come, and it was in, actually in verse 1, the way of the sea would be made glorious. And Isaiah's hearers weren't quite sure what this was going to mean because it was 700 years later when that light came. And that came from 
the northern parts of, the, of Israel, Naphtali and Zebulun, the area of Galilee, Nazareth, where Jesus was said to have lived, uh, Capernaum, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And listen to what Matthew says um, in chapter 4 in Matthew. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the passage that Matthew quotes right before that is Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. People of the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So again, Matthew just looks back, sees this passage of Isaiah and sees it fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And quotes it to his, to his hearers who are going to make that same connection. Um, and then we learn more about who this light of the world is with this final prophecy before the Messiah turns to the birth of Christ in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Uh, the piece that we're going to hear in a little bit is probably one of the most famous pieces in the Messiah besides the Hallelujah Chorus. Everybody knows the Hallelujah Chorus, but um, the words for, for unto us a child is born, I'm sure we've all heard that at some point, a very beautiful piece. And I just wanted to, we're going to play this, but I'm not going to play the piece right before it. It's kind of a long piece, but it's a bass solo. And obviously, if you know, the bass is like the lower register of the voice. And it's a really dark piece. That's so where we're talking about the darkness, the shadow of death. Um, that's the, the tone that comes um, right before uh, this piece. So Bob, if you can, or Ryan, can you play track eight? So remember before this is dark, it's gloomy. The bass had just sung, and now let's listen to uh, track eight. It's about three and a half minutes long. If you have your Bibles, open to Isaiah 9, verse 6, and you can read along with the, the words. Hopefully. Is it working right?
started this and I, t- I talked told you it was like the whole Messiah is like two hours and 20 minutes long and some of you looked at the it's like there's not that many words here how can it be that long hope you can, you can kind of see they keep going back and forth over the same words over and over again but one thing I love about this piece is remember I said it was like really dark and gloomy before and then as soon as those those strings come in you realize the mood has changed it's very upbeat and then the sopranos start singing the, the words of Isaiah 9 6 and then the tenors come in, and the altos and the basses, and they keep throwing that, those first few phrases back and forth. But when does the, the choir sing in unison? Anybody hear that? When do they all come together and say the words at the same time? Yeah, all those names of Jesus Christ. So they do that throughout that piece. How powerful is that when all of a sudden they're singing in unity these wonderful words about Jesus Christ and his, his titles? Uh, wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You can see how putting text like that into music just makes everything come more alive. Um, and that's when we're going to sing the, hear the next part, uh, skipping ahead. Right after this, I mentioned that there's that the symphony piece. There's no words being sung. It's just a piece uh, by, the, by the orchestra. And then we turn actually to the, the birth of Christ, the narrative in Luke 2. So if you have your Bible, turn over to Luke 2.8. And you can hear... The reason I, I chose this part um, is just to, so you can hear the, the difference of having a, a soloist thing and then the, the power, again, of having the chorus go in. The, the angel who says to the shepherds and says this, the narration of the story and says the initial announcement to the shepherds is just one angel. So there's one person singing, one soprano. But then when the, the heavenly hosts come, what better way to, to depict that music by having the chorus sing? So... Uh, tracks 10 and 11, Ryan. You just go through those two. And then after that, it will be about time to leave. Luke 2 verse 8 is where we're going to be. Glory. 
let's close our prayer really quick. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the ability to celebrate your son's birth, not just in one season of the year, but Lord, we can celebrate the birth of your son and the redemption that he accomplished every day of our lives. And Lord, may we continue to do that, not only in, in, in our thoughts and our actions, but in everything that we do. Lord, we pray that you will be seen in us as having been redeemed by your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.